Oh, actually, that's it. I'm so glad I thought I remember this. Let's just take, let me take a screenshot because sometimes I have to go in and find like a good moment to do a still of like us like laughing or smiling or some shit like that. Oh um, my God. So we're going to be posing for a screenshot. Yeah, it's brutal. I do that. We do this for KFS too. It's all, it's awful. Um, go whenever you're ready. I'm ready when you are. I don't give a shit what right. I look like, you know? <laughs> all right. All right. Three, <laughs> two. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, cool. I got enough. I just did a bunch. I did so many, so I could just not have to. Your three second countdown was like 20 seconds. This is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA with a focus on the New York Knicks and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co host, XJ. He is my brilliant co host, Jeff. Jeff, we are recording this after the Knicks lose to the Boston Celtics on the TD Bank Arena floor. Um, I don't know. How are you feeling about it? I was going to contextualize what I thought about the loss, but how, how do you feel about the game that we just uh, that we just came off of? I like your... Uh, I don't know. What's like the real voice version of a subtweet? Whatever it was, you just subtweeted uh, Andrew's pregame pod in real life. I don't know if you saw, but him and uh, him and the guy he did it with got into it about what's the official garden. So I like I like that you made a point to refer to it as the TD Bank, whatever it no, is. No. It a- so I gotta I gotta I gotta clarify that I gotta clarify that. So I actually um, that's been my take for a while, and I and and I did come out on on Casual Friday on on Nick's Film School and explain why I would never call the TD Bank Arena. Um, the quote unquote garden. So I did have like about a minute and a half, 90 second rant about why I would never call it the, the, the garden and how there's only one Madison square garden. There's only one garden. So that is, uh, I think Andrew and I just happen to have the same perspective on that, but I definitely had that take, uh, uh, last week. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, whatever power to the, uh, I like the support either way, but, um, (laughs) Um, that game, I'm, I have to be honest, I feel like I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than the average person for a couple of reasons. One, we both, but, um, I think you'll agree with me here. I think the Celtics are the best team in basketball and they're fully healthy. Um, I don't think much of their depth, but like, it doesn't really matter when those five guys are playing as well as they played tonight. Derek White didn't do much offensively, but he was his usual annoyance defensively. He was everywhere. Um, Porzingis provided gravity and rim protection like he's supposed to. Like He's truly bought into that role um, more than he ever has. Jalen Brown was as good as I think Jalen Brown can be, um, at least offensively. Like Until Tatum got going, Jalen Brown was actually carrying them. Like At halftime, Jalen Brown had at least put up better numbers and the team was performing better when Brown was on the court to Tatum. And then Tatum played like an MVP to finish. And that was that. So in general, I don't think there's too much shame in losing to that team. Like that's just a really good team, especially a road game. Um, Didn't have RJ Barrett. And look, I know it's still a small sample size. We're barely 10% of the way into the season, but he last season, he was a pretty heavy outlier. Um, just like in a negative way. Like if you look at his impact data and his on off data last season was preposterous. The Knicks were like plus 10 and a half per hundred when he didn't play, which was I think eight or nine points worse than every single other player on the roster. So it was basically like the Knicks played like one of the best teams of all time when RJ didn't play. And like in every combination where RJ didn't play and then, when RJ played, they were just fine. You know, um, this season is the opposite and, um, he is absolutely been everything to them. Like according to the impact data, they're plus 18 or so per hundred when he plays and he's the only Knicks rotation minute or rotation player who's off minutes they're losing. So like, they're again, it's basically the inverse of what we saw last year from an impact perspective. Um, And I think there's X's and O's and film that backs that up. I think we saw tonight 
that the chemistry that RJ has with this bench unit, the way he and quickly play off each other and are sort of a like co-stars and they, they, uh, they they have really good chemistry together, but they're both you know initiating. When Jalen and or Randall plays with the other four bench players, it's not like that, and it ends up being you know they stay in charge, and I think it kind of hurts the flow. And then the starting lineup it's really obvious when you replace Josh when you replace RJ Barrett with Josh Hart, you're missing RJ's shooting right now. He's shooting fifty percent from three. You replace that with Josh Hart, who's not a willing shooter, who the defense – and I know he shot well from three tonight, but guess what? The defense doesn't care if he makes his threes. They don't pay attention whether his threes are going in or not. They don't adjust, and that hurts the other possessions. And Josh Hart is not a willing shooter. He hit 50% of his threes tonight, but he only took, what, four? I think he only took four. Um no, he, he took, took six. six. Okay. Yeah. He took six. But, but like, given how Boston was defending him, he needed to shoot more. And he passed up on a number of open threes. He's also not good above the break. Like, I can't remember the last time he shot one from above the break where it was like it even looked good. He's very comfortably a corner three-point shooter. I think so, he's yeah, at 23% like, from above the break this year. Right. So th- what we're seeing in the in the on-off data and the impact data with RJ actually makes sense with both units. It, it, his, his importance is... Um, really coming to fruition on the, on the tape. And so, yeah, I'm just not going to be too upset about losing a game like that. Um, that was a little bit longer than I attend, intended. Uh, what, what did you think of the game? No, it's so interesting. So um, we did a Knicks film school watch along for the game. So I was on YouTube uh, watching the game and um, with the actual, actually the rest of the casual crew, Sean, with a W and Mensa and we were kind of breaking things down as we were going along and we hit like pretty much every one of your points. Like it was, it's really funny hearing you, your take on it. Um, so we had a lot of the same opinions. I think, I think that 100% to what you said about Josh Hart kind of not just not commanding any respect from three. And if he's not going to shoot it every single time, he's just not going to command the respect. Even if he makes you know, three of six or three of five, um, they're going to treat them the, you know, the, the, the way that the Knicks treated the Cavs, you know, non-shooters in the corner in the playoffs. Like, they're just going to be like, hey, I mean, you guys are open. Maybe you'll hit them sometimes. Maybe Okoro will, will, will miss them sometimes, but we're not going to give him any respect no matter what happens. And when they do that, when, when you're able to do that, it allows Porzingis to like stay close to the rim. Porzingis is hugging the rim all game and just really intimidating. Um, basically, anybody who came in the paint, including Julius Randle, who threw a number of awful like bounce passes, interior, weird interior passes to Mitchell Robinson that like literally like the guys with the best hands in the NBA probably couldn't handle um, leading to a few turnovers. And that was frustrating. And I just think, I do think the Knicks at this point, what I worry about the most from this game is that it does seem like they need RJ Barrett and they need the RJ Barrett that they've gotten this year. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to go too deep into this, but I'm not positive that RJ Barrett will just be exactly what we've seen so far, um, you know, over the first seven games that he's played um, throughout the rest of the, 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 I don't know how many games are left, 72. Um, so that's a, that's a concern that I have, just like that we need that RJ so much. But at the same time, do I think Josh Hart's going to be better? I do think Josh Hart's going to be better. Um, I think like one of the big things that I noticed was – Quickly, in that second unit, when Randall plays with them, I don't think it's a good match. I don't think it's a good pairing. I think Quickly seems to really, really feel like he needs to defer to Randall. Randall seems like with that second unit, it's not really like the opportunity to flow and run up and down and play their style. It seems more like it's Randall's like, well, I have these scrubs around me. Time to feed me even more. <laughs> right. And it's he's like, like it's, he's like, it's my time. It's my time. It's like, yeah, I got these these supporting this 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 cast of supporting characters, so I must get all the shots then. Now for sure, Brunson's off the court. Who else is gonna shoot it? And it's like, no, dude, the reason why this unit works is because the ball f- flies around the court and they fly around the court, right? Like they run up and down, they cause turnovers. Um, the ball's not sticking. 
Um, the ball's moving, finding guys who are open, and the open guy takes the shot. That's why that that second unit has started to really gel. And I've said this since we saw it. My favorite lineup right now for the Knicks is Quickly, DiVincenzo, Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, and Isaiah Hardenstein. I love that lineup so much. They're, they're, they create havoc defensively. And I love how the ball moves. Um, they they do pretty much everything well. They have enough shooting the space with RJ with the way RJ's shooting this year. And um, when you take out RJ and replace him with Julius, it's it's like a it's just not this just like an entirely different. It's just something completely different fundamentally. Um, so I didn't love that. And yeah, I think I think I I wouldn't take away too much from it in terms of negatives. Obviously, they have to figure out what to do with a, a spacer at the five like Chris Stops. And, you know, but there aren't many guys like that in the league who are going to space like that and also protect the rim like that. It's just like I don't think there probably is any um, just like uh, Porzingis. And then just I feel like the dependence on RJ feels concerning to me because that's a lot of pressure on him to like maintain the level that he's been at this, so far this season. So that's kind of like my, my takeaways from that specific game. They also need to figure out what to do against a team who can switch everything. Yeah. Um, they had no offense. And I think that more than the shooting, that's where RJ really would have helped. Because for whatever reason, he's able to use his size and his um, just his unique combination of size and quickness to get into the paint and to get to spots that nobody else can get to. And the Knicks were really missing somebody who could force that collapse. Um, yeah. They ended up with a lot of really bad one-on-one possessions. And I just think another thing that RJ is like, if when RJ's here, Josh Hart doesn't play 43 minutes. Like, that's really bad. There's just... I don't think really Hart bad. should have played 43 even despite RJ not being in the game. Like, I, I don't... Right. I, that didn't make sense to me at all. Um, Especially in a game that like quickly and Grimes played 26 and 28, especially Grimes. Grimes can play more. Um, Absolutely. They they need, they need Grimes to be able to play small forward. That just unlocks so many things. He's their best shooter by far. And if he's only a shooting guard, there's just no creativity to that. And it, it caps the team ceiling so much. Like if Grimes is always the best shooter at two and there's just always significantly worse. And I know RJ is shooting 50% from three right now, but I think we know, I mean, whatever. I think we know, I'm not saying, I'm not guaranteeing we know, but I think we know that RJ is not a 50% three point shooter. So like, I think we can say, I think we can say that, um, Sometimes we need Grimes to play with Brunson and another shooter, whether that's DiVincenzo or whether that's Quickly. That just needs to be okay sometimes. And, like, Grimes is taller than Josh Hart. I, I get that Josh Hart plays bigger than his size. I get that we like Josh Hart's rebounding. But when Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson are out there, the things Grimes does well would be more valuable at small forward than the things Josh Hart does well. I, like I'm sorry, that's just I get if you're hesitant to play jo- to play Quentin Grimes at the sm- at small forward next to R.J. Barrett. Like I get that, but there's just no reason to lean this hard on a really really good role player. Like there's just there's just no reason. Um, yeah. Look, you brought you you brought him up, so I just I guess I have to talk about Julius Randle. I don't I don't want to talk about Julius Randle, but I guess I have to talk about him. <sighs> Like, can we hold, can we, can we at least, can we start, but can we, can we hold him to a higher standard? Can we at least do that? Because I see all these people come out and they're like, oh, Julius Randle gets it like in ways that no other Knicks players ever gotten it. And like, nobody's, you want to hate him. No, I fucking don't. Like, I don't want to hate him. I don't want, I want to root for him. He's a Nick. He's plays for my favorite team. I just, (sighs) He has a 43% true shooting percentage this year, and he was 7 of 19 tonight, led the team in turnovers. I thought his process was like really, really good early in the first half. I thought there was that stretch where he drew a number of doubles, found kickouts, got hockey assists. I thought he was great, and I was so prepared to be like, oh, he's turned a corner, and like this is the Julius we want to see all the time. And then he got switched onto shooters defensively and didn't couldn't be bothered to move. Like any time he got a cross match with Sam Hauser, Sam Hauser was like, Oh, my defender won't move. 
that's good. I'll just go to a different part of the court. And Julius Randle just stood and watched. Like that was the thought process. Sam Hauser hit what like three or four threes again with Julius Randle as his primary defender. And on offense, he's just still too slow. He just stands there with the ball. Like how many times is he going to have his back to the basket and just sort of mosey around and somebody's able to come double him and he doesn't anticipate the double at all? I just I when we had that podcast with Schwinn, when we did the Strickland pod, you and Schwinn both said, I don't see how you win with this guy. And like, and I shouldn't say, I, I agree with that. I don't think you can win a championship with Julius Randle. These are the games where that really comes to fruition. Cause like, did we lose this game because of Julius Randle? Of course not. Like I'm not putting that on him, but his warts are so loud and they're so harmful. There was a play tonight when he missed a floater and Chris Porzingis got the rebound and Julius decided that he was going to run around Porzingis and go for the steal. And then after he didn't get the steal, Porzingis was like, oh, he's behind me five on four. He whipped the pass ahead and Julius was like half a minute behind everyone down the court. It was a five on four. The Celtics created a wide open shot. And then Julius comes into frame is somehow the closest guy to the wide open guy and fouls him. And it was like, this is the shit that it's just like, I don't know what he's thinking and I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. Like, I don't know why, I don't know why he went for the offensive rebound like that. I don't know why he's not like, Oh, I went for the offensive rebound and I'm out of position. I'm going to beat everyone back to the, on defense. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do with that guy. And then it's like, when I ask if we can hold him to a higher bar, like this is a guy we're paying a ton of money who made all NBA last season. And people are like, well, like I sort of like the process better. It's like, no dude, this isn't a role player. The process, he, first of all, he's not good enough defensively. This isn't Emmanuel quickly. This isn't Quentin Grimes. This isn't Mitchell Robinson. These aren't guys. This isn't a guy who's just bringing it defensively on a night in night out basis. And you can excuse these lapses. This is a guy who is probably with how Jalen Brunson is playing right now, the team's worst defender, the worst defender on the team. And so if you're going to be the worst defender on the team, you can't have these ridiculous lapses and these slow processing stretches that really hurt the team. You just can't do it. And this is his 10th season. Like at a certain point, this is just who he is, you know? And I don't, I don't know what the Knicks are supposed to do with that. Yeah, that was a lot, but I, you know, I wish I could, I could talk you down a little bit. Um, Give you some some Knicks therapy. Shout out to to Andrew Claudio who does a Jets therapy and a Mets therapy podcast. Wish I could give you a, some Knicks therapy. Um, but I I don't know. I think that okay. Let's just Randall's gonna shoot better this year. <laughs> Randall Randall's right. not gonna yeah shoot, for sure yeah j- j- just to start just to just just for starters like Randall's gonna not not gonna have a forty three percent true shooting this year right like he is. Let's say, let's say for the sake of humoring the situation, um, he is making his way back from the ankle. Um, you know, he's not a hundred percent. I think that that's fair to say, but I, I agree with you as far as the issues with Randall are not the shot making right now. It's not even his like shooting percentages that are the issue. It is the decision-making it is the processing, the slow processing. It is the the effort, um, the the effort, like the decision making and effort on defense. And I mean, we were like I said, we were watching this uh, the game during a watch along, and and there was one I, I forget who was on Randall, who was a primary defender on Randall. It might have been Hauser. It might have been. I don't remember who it was, but I just know that he had the ball, uh, kind of on the baseline. Um, was going to start his like post-up uh, uh, play and Kristaps Porzingis comes in and sneaks along the baseline and comes from behind him and is able to like strip the ball out of his hands. And we were just on the, on the watch along like, how did Kristaps Porzingis sneak up on you? <laughs> like, is this man not glowing white and seven foot four with a, wearing a black jersey coming along the baseline? You did not see this man coming? Like, that to me is really the most glaring thing to me about Julius Randle this season has been how teams double team him. And we talked about this a little bit on a podcast earlier, maybe our second one. 
And their strategic doubling of Randall, despite the data saying that, well, you know, actually when you double team Julius Randall, the Knicks, the Knicks um, offense, offensive rating or points per possession is like 1.22, which would be an insane offensive rating of 122 points per 100 possessions. Like that would lead you to believe you should never double Julius Randall because he's just dicing you up. But teams continue to do it. And why? Because they know it's a strategic gamble because yeah, he might if he sees the double team coming, he might leap in the air and throw a skip pass across the court to a wide open Josh Hart in the corner and that's going to hurt you. Or he might hold the ball, look around, never look at the place where the double is coming from and by the time he spins back to the to you know to the the, the front side of the court, he's getting stripped and the ball's going the other way in a transition and he's not going to hustle back. It is it, it is those types of plays that I think cause the, the the frustration to the extent where it's like it outstrips the actual deleterious impact that he has on the actual team, right? So he has been, I would say, like on a net like neutral to slightly below average defender in terms of like his impact over the last few seasons. Uh but it just his mistakes are just so they're so bad and avoidable and things that just really shouldn't happen to a player of his caliber like you're saying holding him to a highest standard to a player of his caliber they just shouldn't happen and if he was able to continue to give like more attention and focus to the game i think they wouldn't happen and that's why i think attention is an is a skill to me attention and focus and the ability to lock in and you know have a high motor and be able to make good decisions all of those things i think are skills and i think they're underrated skills i think we think of them as like ancillary things that like any player can do oh yeah he's just got to improve his decision making that's why what i've seen from rj barrett as far as improving his decision making passing out of drives a lot more making simple passes slowing down uh, on an attack and 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 not throwing up a terrible shot but actually like getting a good shot off instead of one that's like a flailing shot that's going to get blocked down low to me those are huge improvements and we see them manifest in terms of his productivity but they come from an ability to focus and slow down and make better decisions and we haven't seen that from julius you know he's he's gonna be 29 years old and you know i just don't i don't think we will so the, the only thing i would say is again he's gonna shoot better his shooting's gonna improve which is gonna make his impact a lot better but these other things i don't know that they're gonna change and i think that's the reason why i don't think you can win a championship with julius randall as one of your featured players or maybe not even as a player on, on, a, on a championship team in any capacity so that's kind of where i'm coming from and also you talked about his his warts and how loud they are. I would also argue there's a strong correlation between the things he does poorly or the things, um, yeah, the things he does poorly or just his weaknesses overall. There's a strong correlation between those happening and good t- and playing good teams. So, like, what I mean by that is like a lot. A lot of his strengths come from exploiting mistakes that good teams don't make. Like when he, when, when, when a, when a bad team doubles him, they, they double him from an area that's easy for him to see where the kickout is. He exploits those mistakes. Better teams will double him from angles that are more, that are more intricate and they force him to take his processing to a level that I don't think he hasn't, or he definitely hasn't shown he's capable of. Another thing about that, the 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 Hornets bad team. When when Julius Randle was guarding PJ Washington against the Hornets, uh, they play the Hornets what Sunday? They played them Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah Sunday, Sunday, Sunday matinee. When PJ Washington was on Julius Randle, he relocated a number of times. Go back and watch that game. I defy anybody to go back and watch that game and tell me that Julius Randle guarded PJ Washington well. PJ Washington just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He's just because he's not. He's a, he's a fine shooter for a stretch big, but he's not like a good shooter in a vacuum. Yeah. Better teams have better shooters who, when they notice Julius Randle's on them, are going to do the same things, but they make you pay. So it hurts you more. When I mean Sam Hauser shouldn't be playable 
like uh, he and he won't be against a better team he won't be because he's not going to get the number of the threes i promise you when the heat when the when the celtics play you know the heat and i don't think the heat are better than the Knicks, but i do think they're better coached um when they play the heat when they even the bucks hauser won't be in the rotation or he'll be a small rotation piece but as long as hauser can shoot five to seven threes that are wide open a game he helps your team why wouldn't the celtics throw him out there and when julius Randle's on the court he's gonna get those looks yeah i i, I totally agree with that i think that's such a great point about the the way that julius Randle exploits bad teams and and teams that are making um really obvious kinds of decisions that he can doesn't have to read you know the process very quickly but can easily exploit just mistakes that happen i think he feasts on those teams and teams that are smart and and very strategic and kind of take advantage of of his, take advantages of his um the kinds of things that he does just like on a regular basis um they those are the teams that really give him fits. And those are the teams that we have to beat in the playoffs. Um, so that's really the concern when it comes to that. Um, is there anything you want to say? You mentioned the the Hornets. I don't know if the, you know, this is not just a, a Celtics recap, you know, just kind of a recap of the the last week of the games. I don't know if there's anything you want to say about the, the Hornets and Spurs wins. Two bad teams. I think the Spurs are the worst team in the NBA. Um, so two bad teams, but we took care of business and, 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 and the Knicks really, uh, hammered both of those teams. So anything you want to say about those two games? I think it's very encouraging that the Knicks have looked so good against teams they're supposed to look good against. Cause if you look in history of all sports teams that beat teams, they're supposed to beat are typically very good. So even if the Knicks ceiling may be not as high as the elites, if they're just consistently beating teams they're supposed to beat, that's a really good sign for them to win, you know, 45 plus games or whatever. Um, I will say that um, I thought their passing against the Hornets was really, really good. It does make you wonder, was their passing really good because the Hornets are the Hornets? I didn't see it that way. I thought they were, doing a number of things like there were some pocket passes there were some quick processing swing swings that you just really like to see um so i really liked their passing against the hornets i just the the point you make about them not being very good i just don't think there's in a macro sense i don't think there's much to take away from that aside from good teams consistently take care of business against the ones they're supposed to and i think Really, I, I think we know pretty confidently that this is a good team. So I think the next question is, what do they do against the teams that they're going to have to get through to win a championship? And we're going to see you know, that the rest of the way, but it hasn't been great so far, I'll say. They're 0-2 against Boston. They lost in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, I just... Uh, I think that's really the significant question left about this team. Yeah, I I totally hear that. I think I agree with you. I To me, I didn't take a ton away from it besides that they beat teams that they're supposed to, which is not always easy in the NBA, although I do think the Hornets and the Spurs are really bad. Like I think I, I, I kind of give them less credit for beating teams that they're supposed to when the teams are that bad. Um, at least like for me, just watching the Spurs, I'm like, I don't even know is, is if Wemby is not like, you know, kind of some kind of magical unicorn superstar. I have no idea how they can win any games this year. Um, but actually I, I do want to ask you this question because you mentioned the ball movement in the Hornets game and I noticed the same thing. I thought the ball movement was incredible. And last year I thought the reason why the ball movement wasn't so good was a strategic coaching decision that they wanted to run isolations. They wanted to take advantage of the strengths of their best players, which typically, you know, Brunson, Randall would be those guys and, and RJ as well. Those guys operate really well in isolation situations, especially Jalen Brunson. And they wanted to take advantage of that as well as the idea that you know, those three guys can really get to floater range and make it easy for Mitch to kind of crash the boards on the offensive rebounds. So I felt like it was a strategic coaching decision to to not have good ball movement, especially since that also leads to turnovers and the Knicks whole philosophy was grounded around maximizing their possessions and getting extra chances. 
So that made sense to me, although we talked about this a lot on podcasts, you know, in the off season and, and podcasts have been featured on and on the Strickland pod. I've talked about it on some Knicks film school podcasts, but it just seemed like it seemed like we need we needed to change that. The Knicks needed to change that and they needed to be more fluid and have ball movement to really reach the next the next kind of landmark as far as their offensive performance. And they did that in the Hornets game. So I wonder, from your perspective, do you think that the ball movement looks so good in that game? You you said you said is it because it's just the team is just bad? But I don't know. It seemed like there was a concerted effort to do that, but they're not. They haven't been consistent about it. So do you think that they still have the same coaching philosophy or strategic kind of attack where they're like don't want to have as much ball movement because they don't want to turn the ball over, being kind of risk averse in their approach? Or do you think they are trying to have ball movement, but it's just like some growing pains as far as like executing that? I think it's the latter. I've noticed a, uh, a philosophical difference um, in how they have played this season. I think that they know that they have Jalen Brunson in like, I think that they know. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry. Um, you have to tell the audience what just happened. There's no way you can you can stop. Well, I'm, a, like... I'm a I'm a Broncos fan, and wow, they have a field goal for the win. They're they're playing the Bills on Monday Night Football, and they're down yeah. one, and they just missed uh, a 41 yard field goal. But there were too many men on the field, so now they get a second chance. You guys get to live watch wow. my heartbreak on Nash on on live stream. Um, it might not be the case, and not to detour too much, but I'm a Dolphins fan, so I have a vested interest in this as well. Like I, I would be very happy if if the Bills got knocked off by the lowly Broncos on Monday Night Football. I don't know why you had to throw the lowly word in there, but um, <laughs> all right, I'm just gonna assume we're I'm just gonna assume we're gonna edit this part out, and you can like use it as like a clip or something because here we go, 36 yards for the win. It's up. All right, dead center. Um, okay. Let's go Broncos. We, we did it. Um, so I, I think philosophically I've noticed a difference and I think it's actually hurting Brunson. I don't think it's hurting Randall as much. I think that Brunson kind of, he just doesn't, it's not that he doesn't know what to do, but he's trying to fit into it. I don't know if you felt this way. I'll be curious to hear your, I'll be curious to hear your rebuttal, but there were times last season where it was like, oh man, the ball sticks in, J- in Jalen Brunson's hands a lot. Like, and, and I feel like that bias is stronger when he's not making shots. Obviously, like when he's like when he when when he's when the shots aren't going, you're like, come on, dude, move the ball. Like, I think that's a natural human intuition. But I I, I do feel like for the most part last season, Knicks fans were okay with Jalen Brunson's style, and it didn't seem like he was. Um, separate from everybody else it seemed like what he was doing was in the flow of the offense this season whether it's been good or whether it's been bad I've felt like Jalen Brunson has almost been independent of the other guys on the court with him like he's playing one style he's playing the style that's last season so when Jalen Brunson's like okay it's my time the play is set up for him he goes one-on-one whatever he does what he does best but then there's all these other plays, whether it's run through RJ, even with Julius. Like I, I know I was just complaining about him, but I do think that Julius is trying to play. Like I think he he sees himself like as a genuinely. I think he genuinely sees himself as like a LeBron type. Like he's like a he wants to get his guys involved. He just wants to be the one directly creating it for them, you know. And I do mm-hmm. think that he is a team first guy. Um, not that Jalen isn't. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying that Jalen's Jalen knows his best skill is his one-on-one scoring. That's just that's good self-awareness to have because he's an elite one-on-one scorer. Right. But the Knicks have all these actions with their bench unit, with RJ Barrett, with Jalen, Julius Randle, that have become more team-friendly philosophically. And then Jalen Brunson is just different. And to me, it's been kind of jarring to watch these two ideas kind of clash. So to answer your question, I do feel like it's intentional philosophically. I think if you look at the analytics, assist percentages up, turnover percentage up, um, passes up, every, like all these things are up across the board. Um, I just think that 
Jalen Brunson is the one constant from last season. And I think that's been a little bit tougher on the team. Yeah. And just to support your observation, like you said, passes up, uh, assist percentage up, potential assists. Actually, the Knicks were last in the NBA last year, now 20th in the NBA. So, that, I mean, moving up 10 slots is a big deal. So definitely it seems like there's a more concerted effort to have ball movement. I think introducing and injecting DiVincenzo into the lineup a lot more, I think contributes to that as well. Yeah. As far as the Brunson thing, I kind of see what you're saying. I, I, I feel like he's still being asked to be him. I don't think that the, the the despite their change in terms of like increasing ball movement, I don't think they're asking Brunson to do anything different. I think they're asking him to be him and to, to maximize himself the way that you just stated. Like I think his best skill is his one-on-one scoring. He's an elite isolation scorer, scorer in the game, which is amazing to say for somebody at his size and stature, but he is, and the data supports that. So I think they're just kind of asking him to play his own game and do his own thing. And I think he's doing that. Um, he hasn't been, he hasn't had the, the, the touch that he's had last year, but I, I do think it'll come around. It, it is a little stark. It is a little juxtaposing to see the contrast. So I see what you're saying. Um, do I think they should do something different? I kind of don't like, I, I don't like, I think you need to maximize Brunson. I do think you need to maximize. I think he's, if he's going to be on this team, you do need to maximize his impact on the offense because his, he had a tremendous offensive impact last year, whether we feel like not, not saying that you would say this, but like whether we feel like he should have passed more, or he was like ball hoggy. I mean, I would, those are the kind of things I would hear last year, but his, his impact on the offense was tremendous. And I think, I think if he's going to be on the team, right, like Emmanuel quickly is not going to be your starting point guard and, and Brunson is going to be your starting point guard. And I think for the foreseeable future, I think he's going to resign in New York as well. I think you do have to figure out how to maximize him. And I think that that is his gift. That's his talent. And I'm not sure. I think I, he actually has played well, in my opinion, off ball. Like he has been really good on spotting up. He's been able to relocate after getting rid of the ball at times. Um, he's being able to kind of slide his way around the key to get into good positions to create passing lanes and get open threes. He did it a little bit more earlier in the season, I think, than late than of recent. So I think he's showed some off-ball skills. I don't think he's like a Trey Young, like where it's like this guy needs to have the ball and score, or else he's like a useless player. Um, I think I think he I think he's a little better, a little more shrewd and 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 crafty off-ball as well. So. Yeah, I, I see kind of what you're saying as well. I, I want to give it more time and just see how things look like midway through the season. But yeah, I, I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll just have to see. That's kind of where I'm at with that. I do think, though, there's a worry, at least for me. And that is that when Brunson and Randall start to pick it up, what does that mean for RJ? Because we talked about the impact data last season or excuse me, last episode, we talked about the what the impact stats are telling us and why they are the way they are. And to me, what they told us last season is that RJ Barrett wasn't good in the role of a third option. He, he likes having the ball in his hands more. He likes, who doesn't, being in rhythm. And apparently, how he plays offensively affects how he plays defensively. Maybe that won't be the case this season. We're going to have to see a sample of when the shots stop falling. Um, I will say that I thought his defense was constant in the playoffs last season, whether his shot was falling or not. I noticed, like me as someone who was like, man, there's a good chance that they have to just take RJ out of the rotation at some point in this postseason. Like I said that before the playoffs. I watched the, I, I'm still obviously able to watch the postseason like objectively or just watch the games objectively. And when I, I thought his defense was great from start to finish um, in, in the playoffs, whether, whether the shot was falling or not. So I believe in his ability to maintain the defensive impact that he has so far this season when maybe his shooting dips a little bit. But will it maintain if his role gets adjusted, that's a different question to me. Um, and I think, 
as boring as it is, the only answer is wait and see. But I do think that is an interesting dilemma because I think what we're learning is RJ is kind of the glue. He bridges the gap between the starting lineup and the bench unit. Um, I think the more they play without him, we're learning that one of your fears that you stated early in this podcast is that, yeah, it's true. And that's that RJ Barrett is incredibly important to this team. And so what does it mean for the Knicks when somebody who's clearly so important, his role gets reduced, his potential impact reduces because he's hitting shot less. These are things that the Knicks are going to have to confront or could have to confront. And that's worrying as a Knicks fan, honestly. Yeah, I I mean, I, like I, I kind of implied that that's – that's just RJ's kind of stability and, and role and performance, I think, is a, is a concern of mine as well. I do think, actually, I think I'm a little more concerned about RJ's performance on defense when, if, I'll say if, for, for, for the RJ have, if his performance starts to suffer on offense as far as, like, his shooting and consistent shot making. Um, I do worry about how that affects his defense, but what you're saying as well, if his role changes in the offense, that may affect his defense as well. So to me, I think we have thought about this and, and this has been debated, not we as in me and you, but like Knicks fans everywhere. Um, do RJ Barrett and Julius Randle work well together? I mean, we've seen the starting lineup work really well at this point, but I think that's kind of in a weird way, kind of because Julius has been struggling because that's allowed RJ to take more of the reins and have a lot more freedom to, to, to attack more and, and increase his usage a couple ticks. But it's not just usage. Like you said, it's, it's the rhythm. It's to have the ball in your hands. It's to be, be the one making the decisions. Um, I think all of those things matter to guys who need to get a feel to, to kind of score consistently. And we've seen the starting five work really well because because of that. But like you said, if Randall kind of gets going a little bit and shoots a little better, and Brunson starts to shoot a little better, which I'm, I'm just flatly I'm I'm banking on and expecting to happen. I don't know. Yeah, what what is that going to do to RJ? I, I I'm not sure. And RJ is going to have to go through a lot of tests uh, as we go along the season. And if he can pass them all, then to me, you know he makes Julius Randle expendable um, if he can pass these tests. And those tests are going to be, how does he look when his usage kind of goes down, when he kind of is, 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 is pushed into a role that looks more similar to how it has in years past? How is he going to look when he plays really good teams? Um, we kind of talked about this uh, right before we jumped on the pod. Um, and you mentioned this, you know, n- not as a knock to RJ, but just pointing out, like, he's kind of missed the games where the Knicks played their, their toughest opponents this year. And how's he going to look when his shooting dips and when he goes through a little streak where he's not hitting his three and kind of drops back down to earth, whether temporarily or, you know, you know, more long term, how's he going to look? How's he going to impact the game? How's he going to play? How's he going to play on defense? What's his effort going to look like? What's his decision making going to look like under all of those circumstances? And, you know, to me, those are the kind of like the tests that we have ahead for the RJ Barrett resurgence. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Do you think there's what do you think of the comparison between RJ Barrett and Julius Randle and uh, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden? Um, that's interesting. I haven't heard that one, but I think that's a reasonable comparison to an extent. I mean, like, I guess, I guess I should ask you. Is it possible that trading Randall and just getting like don't don't do the thing that most Knicks fans think the Knicks want to do and replace Randall with another you know high usage star? Just yeah. pretend that the Knicks are you know you and what you would do because I assume you I'm know I've heard you say it, I, 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 right well okay but. Um, <laughs> I've heard you say multiple times that it's unrealistic to not take a step back at some point. The Knicks have to at some point do that um, or they're eventually going to, there's only one result there. So if the Knicks. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, please finish your thought. I was just going to uh, ask the question. If the Knicks were willing to do that and we're willing to say, okay, Julius Randall, we're going to, there's somebody who wants you and we like this package 
And when they trade him and the Knicks new starting lineup is uh, Brunson, Grimes, RJ, Hart, Mitch. Is it possible that RJ ascends in the same way that Maxi does? And that it's maybe Randall's strengths are so conflicting with RJ's strengths that they're suppressing his ceiling in a way that clearly Harden was suppressing Maxi's ceiling. Yeah. So I hear that question. I, to clarify one thing, I, which is why I was like jumping in prematurely. I, when I say, I think the Knicks won't want to trade Randall because they won't want to take a step back. I don't mean, I think the Knicks will definitely take a step back if they trade Randall. I think that they think they'll take a step back if they trade Randall. And I agree. Yeah. So, so when I want, I, I, I've, you know, frankly wanted them to trade Randall for a long time, even when Obi Toppin was there and would be the one stepping into the starting lineup. Um, and you know, people would be like, obviously Randall's better than Obi. And it's like, yes, in a vacuum, Randall's better than Obi for sure. I wouldn't dispute that. Is Randall better for this team's offensive, you know, ceiling, uh, instead of Obi, in terms of the synergies, as as you like to say, I, I don't know that to be true for sure. So I wouldn't ever state that, you know, the Knicks are going to take a step back if they move Randall. In this case, you, you may, yeah. you may remember this XJ, but I actually made a very similar argument about putting Jalen Johnson in the starting lineup. I think I said word for word, maybe you'll take a step back, but maybe you'll just be better right away. You did. And yeah. You said this exact thing. I think that the the thing about the Jalen Johnson thing is that he's shooting 35% from three, and I thought he was a 20% three-point shooter. So that goes to show you that not it's it's not a corollary to RJ, but like shooting 15% higher from three-point percentage fundamentally changes your impact as a player, in my opinion, anyway. That's what I'll say. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. And I think that that's possible. I think that is possible, but I think I would love to see where RJ is by the trade deadline in terms of his shooting, his play, his consistency, how he plays against difficult team or, or better teams, um, how he plays against defenses that key in on him a little bit more. Cause I think that, you know, the teams do give a ton of respect and attention to Randall, whether he's playing poorly or not. Um, so yeah, I would just love to see how things go and like around that trade deadline time, I could feel like I could have a better evaluation of like, okay, I think the Knicks can move Randall and like still be really good because RJ can be what we've seen him be, um, while Randall has kind of sputtered in the early goings and RJ has taken on some of more of the, the usage and, and, and kind of the on ball time. If I, if I, if I see that, then I would totally be on board with that as me like you said the Knicks won't do this but as me like with moving Randall and to be honest like if it's just me I would just trade Randall anyway <laughs> whether I think that that's that's gonna happen or not I'm willing to like roll the dice and see and the Knicks I don't believe are willing to roll the dice and and, and see well this is from a macro perspective one of the issues I've had with the Tibbs era and honestly I I need to say this because I've been one of Tibbs' bigger detractors. So I feel the need to say this at almost every stop when I go to criticize Tibbs now. My problems with Tibbs are lessening by the day. Like, I, I don't, like, he's just clearly a net positive, like a huge net positive. I think he's, even when I was at my lowest on him, except for the second year when, like, his errors were indefensible, I think I would pretty firmly have admitted, like, he's a, a net positive pretty much the whole time. Um, but one of my biggest issues with Tibbs and the Tibbs era, we don't have answers to certain questions because we refuse to ask the questions. There's so much incomplete information. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm obviously not emotionally invested to all 30 franchises, but I watch a lot of NBA and I can't imagine there are as too many other teams that just don't know if something's going to work because they refuse to try it. Um, so this idea that we're in year five with RJ Barrett and it's still like, well, like I'm not a hundred percent sure that we can give up on Randall because we don't know how RJ will look without Randall. That's worrying. Like that's, that's a problem. <laughs> that's, and, and I, I get that part of it is like Randall has been 
uniquely and sometimes frustratingly healthy like for his for his entire Knicks career like he just never misses games which is really cool like when he's really good but when you're trying to get other information about Obi Toppin or RJ Barrett it like you can convince yourself that he's spiting those guys because he just doesn't want them to showcase what what they oh, can I'm do. I'm convinced. Oh, I'm convinced of that. I'm sorry to say, like I'm convinced that Randall his his body has remained healthy due to just his sheer will to not let the Knicks see what the team looks like with these other guys in the rotation, because uh, uh, he's afraid of what might happen if that transpired. I'm I'm convinced of that. I'm only half kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And, and there are so many, I mean, we have Jalen Brunson, the, the Knicks have Jalen Brunson on the team because they, I'm convinced that they wouldn't have Jalen Brunson, which would be a bad thing, but I'm convinced they, they wouldn't have Jalen Brunson if Emmanuel quickly had just started the second half of 2022, like, <laughs> and who knows what the team ceiling would be there. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of good. There's been, I'm not saying quickly is a perfect player, but what would what would the team have looked like last season and what would the team's ceiling have looked like what would the team's future have looked like with quickly playing 35 minutes a game at point guard and being the one playing next to Grimes and RJ and Randall and Mitch what i mean that lineup performs well and quickly as a starter went really well but we don't know <laughs> um the one thing we and, do know is uh, the, the thing that Tibbs needed to find out was what Randall looks like with the second unit instead of R.J. Barrett. That was important for him to find out against the Celtics, So, which which I didn't need to see. <laughs> I, I, did. I think I could have anticipated what that would look like with, with uh, Randall kind of demanding the ball from, from quickly every time they go up the court. But What's weird about that is quickly and, our, uh, quickly and Randall usually play so well together. And it never occurred to me that there would be a different vibe because Randall's playing with the entire bench unit. Like when quickly is playing with the starters and there's more starters out there, Randall is so much more willing to defer and to be a part of the offense. I wonder what the meta is for Randall in terms of playing with the entire bench and being like, Oh yeah, like this is my unit now, you know, cause it, it definitely felt that way watching him against the Celtics tonight. 100%. And I, I think it's completely different. The context matters. It's not just the fact of, you know, quickly and Randall together. So I wouldn't look at their numbers, you know, oh, let's go to clean the glass and look at like quickly and Randall on and see how it looks. It's that second unit with Randall in, injected in the middle of it. That's That's the issue to me, which is I do think he sees that as like, I don't mean this, you know, like they're actually scrubs, but I mean like they're bench guys. He views them as bench guys. These are bench guys. It's me and all the guys on the bench. And that means I'm the best option every time. Even a bad shot from me is better than a good shot from a bench guy. And I think that's how we, that's how he views it. Like personally, I, I, I think that's how he views it. So I think that changes that changes the whole concept of that bench unit and what their strengths are.